Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, and welcome to the Heredity Podcast. I'm your host, James Bergen. Now, I'm betting that many of you out there have owned an orchid at some point, although I'd also bet that, like me, a lot of you have struggled to keep them alive. These plants are among our most common and most recognisable cultivated houseplants, and they've captured the imaginations of everybody from artists to scientists to just those people scrambling for a last-minute Mother's Day present. And for the next 11 minutes or so, they're going to capture our imaginations as we discuss the recent heredity paper, Complex Fine-Scale Spatial Genetic Structure in Epidendrum ropilostelli, an epiphytic orchid. Now, this orchid is a little bit more modest in appearance than many you may be familiar with. However, they are providing some fascinating insights into the genetic structuring of wild populations, which may help in the battle to conserve many of the more vulnerable members of this incredibly diverse family of flowering plants. So, let's meet our author. I'm Jose Iriondo, and I am a professor at the King Juan Carlos University in Madrid, Spain. So this paper is focused on orchids. Maybe you could tell us a bit about their diversity. Okay, uh, yes. Our study was based in Ecuador, which is a mega diverse country. And in this country, there are over 4,000 species of orchids. 40% of them are endemic, and one of every three is in danger of extinction. And specifically, we, we were interested in epiphytic orchids, which are plants that germinate, grow, and reproduce on top of other plants. And these orchid epiphytes are typical of mountain forests, such as the tropical rainforests or the cloud forests, which are very well known for their biodiversity. Yeah, definitely. They are incredibly diverse parts of the world. But in this study, you focused in on one particular species. Maybe you could tell us about it and why it stood out. Actually, the, the reason why we chose this species is a bit sad because Orchids in Ecuador are under danger of extinction because of illegal orchid poaching. And uh, because we were initiating a study that was going to last for quite a few years, we were afraid that our populations might get located by illegal poachers and destroyed. So we ended up choosing a species which is quite inconspicuous. Uh, I mean, it is not a very showy orchid. On the contrary, it is a small orchid with green flowers and narrow leaves. And it is called Epidendrum ropalostele. But it is just one of many epiphytic orchids in the Ecuador. Okay, that's interesting. I don't think many people would necessarily think that plants would be poached. Is this for hobbyists? Yeah, there is a very high pressure on orchids for ornamental purposes. And uh, some of the poachers just operate at the local markets. But uh, some other people, they work in the international markets. And these black markets, they apparently they move a lot of money. Oh, that is quite a depressing uh, fact to learn. So I guess in this study in particular, what you were actually focusing on was the fine-scale genetic structure of the species, and that kind of included to within an individual tree. Why do we need to know its genetic structure in such fine detail? Yeah, um, I think uh, there are basically two reasons. In addition to illegal poaching, it's deforestation. Large parts of, of the forests in Ecuador are being destroyed every year, and of course, you can work and do as much as possible to try to reduce the elimination of, of the primary forest. 
Uh, but another thing you can think of is uh, what happens after a primary forest is logged. And in some cases, the forest is turned into pastures. But in, in other cases, the, the land is just left and there is natural regeneration and a secondary forest grows. And it is a long process. And in the case of the orchid epiphytes, it takes many years to recolonize this secondary forest. And so from a conservation perspective, we were interested in knowing how this colonization process may take place. And one of the strategies to approach greater knowledge on the colonization process is through a spatial genetic analysis. And this is, from what I understand, a population which has recovered in an area of secondary forest. Yes. In this case, uh, we, we have been working on a 35-year-old secondary forest. Oh, excellent. So I'm really curious about how you carried out your study, because it reads like there was just tons of fieldwork. Yeah. We decided to work on this fragment of forest, uh, which is about one hectare in size. It is really a, a quite amazing place, uh, at least for me, coming from Spain. Um, having the opportunity to work in a cloud forest was quite amazing. This lot has a very exuberant vegetation, and it has a high density of trees and vines. And the topography is also very hard. There is a steep inclination. And because of all the, the primary production that there is in, in this cloud forest, you are actually walking on a, a thick layer of organic matter, which in many cases can be as thick as two meters deep. So it feels like you are walking on a big mattress. And it is a bit risky because sometimes the organic matter may give up under the weight of your feet and, and you may you may fall in. Uh, so it was quite a, a difficult place to work on. Uh, but the idea was to georeference every single tree or vine that was thicker than one centimeter in diameter. And then we checked every single tree to look for this particular species. And when we found individuals of this species, we also took the geographic coordinates of these individuals of, of this orchid and also took uh, some leaf samples for the genetic analysis. So, yes, it was a very hard work in, in, in the field. Yeah, it sounds fantastic, though. Very labor intensive, but it, it does sound like an incredible place to work. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, I'm kind of curious about how many individuals you actually found in this plot and the sort of genetic structuring that you were finding when you took them back and did all the sequencing and your analysis. Mm -hmm. In this fragment of forest we studied, we found about uh, 714 trees and vines, but we only found the orchid in 25 of these trees. And we found about 200 and, and some individuals of our species. And they were concentrated in these 25 uh, trees. And, and so we carried out the AFLPs with the material we took from the list of these individuals. And um, after conducting the, the different analyses, we found that these individuals, they were structured in, in two different groups. But one particular result that was quite striking was that we found individuals belonging to these two groups in 21 of the 25 trees. This was quite unexpected because, I mean, if there is genetic differentiation in a population, you would expect to find it to be related to some environmental difference or, or to some geographic difference. But in this case, the individuals of both groups were present in 21 of the trees where the orchids were found. 
that is really interesting is is this kind of structuring and population density kind of what you would expect from other orchids or is it surprising in its entirety well, it, it was quite difficult to find an explanation for, for this type of structure. We tried to think on different hypotheses to explain these results. A possible explanation could be that in the forest fragment, there were two types of habitats that were quite different. And, and so the population could have experienced some differential adaptation to one habitat or to the other that created these genetic differences. But as I was saying, this uh, was not a possible explanation because the individuals of both groups were found in 21 of the 25 trees. We also tried to consider the possibility of two different events of colonization. But once again, it is very, very improbable that in the case of two colonization events, in both cases, the very same 21 trees would be colonized, taking into account that we were studying a one-hectare fragment with 714 trees. And so in the end, we ended up considering uh, two possible explanations. One of them is that we might be actually dealing with cryptic species, uh, which would mean that morphologically we are only able to distinguish one species, but perhaps one set is being pollinated by a specific group of pollinators and another set by a different group of pollinators. Or maybe one group is flowering at a particular time, which is different from the time where the other group flowers. Another possibility could be the fact that uh, this species is actually hybridizing with another species called Epidendrum matseni. In this fragment, we actually counted 51 individuals belonging to this other species. And many of these individuals were present in the same trees where Epidemon ropalostele was found. Those are really interesting hypotheses. But even if one of those is true, that still leaves a really interesting scenario happening there that is difficult to explain. Um, yeah, we, we must take into account that this is a, just a 35-year-old uh, secondary forest. And it is possible that these two distinct groups that we are identifying now, we may not see that, um, let's say, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Mm. No, it'd be interesting to see. And I probably should have asked this earlier as well. The trees that you're finding them on, do they share any characteristics which might tell you why they're just colonizing the small subset? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. In this particular case, we were not able to find a specific species or a specific pattern of tree characteristics. But we did find that in many cases, this orchid seemed to be more frequently found on dead trees. Intriguing. I have no idea where that would be. The orchids, uh, in order to be able to germinate and, and to grow in, into their first stages, they need to find an, an association with, with some uh, species of fungi. And so this is another interesting point where we could do further studies to see whether there are uh, some particular environmental conditions that perhaps could be found more frequently on dead trees that favor the presence of the fungi which interact with the seeds of these species and which uh, promote their germination. Ah, okay. Intriguing. So um, just to kind of finish up, at the start, you kind of mentioned that there's a lot of conservation implications with orchids, with poaching, with deforestation and other concerns. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what you think this paper is telling us broadly about how we should be conserving and managing these populations. 
Yeah, um, there are a few ideas that we can derive from the results of this study in order to take them into account when implementing management considerations in the conservation of orchids. Because we also found a spatial autocorrelation in the spatial structure of the genetic diversity of this population, which means that individuals close together are genetically more close than individuals located more distant from each other. So this means that the genetic diversity is especially structured. And this means that if we lose the orchids from one particular tree, we may be losing a lot of the genetic diversity of this population. So this is something important to take into account for management considerations. Also for ex situ conservation of species, um, we often collect uh, seeds from these natural populations and that can be conserved in gene banks to complement uh, in-situ conservation strategies. And in this case, when planning a collecting strategy, we should make the collection of seeds distributed along the territory where the population is found in order to capture all the genetic diversity of the population. That was some great advice from Professor José Aliando from the Biodiversity and Conservation Unit of King Juan Carlos University in Madrid, Spain. He is just one of the authors on the recent heredity paper, Complex Fine-Scale Spatial Genetic Structure in Epidendrum ropalostelli, an epiphytic orchid. I honestly find this work fascinating, from the conservation and population genetic implications to the amazing-sounding fieldwork. Also, on a more personal note, there's an orchid fair in my hometown in a couple of weeks, and I am so excited about it now. I'm going to be going into it this year with a whole new perspective on orchid diversity. As always, if you want to find out more about this research, you can find the paper on the heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. And while you're there giving it a read, you can find out more details about submitting your work for publication in the journal. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm. 